right, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Cornelius Parkin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. So it's funny, we actually connected because somebody sent me one of your stories where you were like talking crap on a podcast I did, but not really on me, but like the guest. And so we'll we'll dive into that as well. But that was kind of a funny way to connect there. <laughs> it, it was funny because I, I I had that story up for, I, it mustn't have been more than 30 minutes and I got, I got a message. <laughs> what is this smack talking? Uh, no, yeah. I, your podcast has always been like extremely informational. You've had great guests on with very good, impressive backgrounds. I mean, Scott Stevenson, Mike Isratale. So I, I've been watching all your videos whenever they come out. And so one evening, it was my wife and I, and we're watching the video where you're talking about. And we're, just, <laughs> and we're just listening and we are like, number one, this guy sounds to me like he's a little bit drunk, mm-hmm. which then it, went, it did kind of make sense then when he started talking about the wine barrel in, in the past. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, basically, he was just a complete shyster. And as we dove a little deeper into its actual background, I looked into the product because when I was listening to the podcast, I didn't really know what he was talking about. He was talking about a training system. And I'm like, sounds interesting. A lot of really big claims he's making. And then when I actually looked up the product, I realized it's basically some bands and the handle. Right. It's extremely highly overpriced. And he was just making ludicrous claims about it, to be honest. But it made me laugh because I had seen, you know, how random ads pop up in Instagram all the time. I had seen the advertisement for that, I don't know, a couple of weeks prior. And I had kind of laughed at the very notion of it. I mean, doing a bench press with the band attached to your back. and just It it was funny. but And then I talked with Scott Stevenson about it. And Scott always dives into everything so deeply. So... He quickly found out that even the guy's so-called uh, qualifications were basically a, like a mail-in. Right, mail-in. right. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, you made a great uh, little video after that explaining the truth. Yeah, and, it was but, kind of funny. I mean, you, you, yeah, you did it in such a good way, though. I have to give it to you because you didn't, you didn't blast him. You just gave your opinions. So. Right. Well, that's what I thought. I was like, let me try to be you know, objective and give like, you know, some pros and and then the cons and, you know, whatnot. And (laughs) it was up for like a week and it was just like normal responses. And then I woke up to like just being blasted with comments and I was like, what happened? And somebody posted it in his Facebook group. And it's so funny because like, it's just one of those things where, you know, I was talking with a few people about it and I was like, there's just no way when somebody's like that entrenched in like, you know, their idea, it'd be like, I don't know if Kim Kardashian put out some like product, some makeup product and some like scientists showed, no, actually it's not really any better than anything else. It's really overpriced for what it is. It wouldn't matter if everything you said was objective and factual, her millions of fans would just be like, have you even tried this product? How do you even know? <laughs> so it just, it is what it is. I I've had my experiences with uh, the online trolls as you call them. So right. yeah, I fully get that. Yeah. Uh, did he ever reach out to you personally after that? He did not. He did call me a little bitch. So that was funny <laughs> in his I, Facebook group. <laughs> I mean, that says it all really, doesn't it? So Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, it is what it is. 
Um, so, you know, what is your background? Because I remember telling you, I had actually seen you on bodybuilding forums years ago. I mean, I've been on the forum since I was like 13 or 14 years old. And I, I don't know which one specifically I've seen you on, but your like icon, like your avatar that you have on Instagram, I have seen that a number of times. And so I know I've seen you from the forums, um, but like, just give people some of your background in this space. Gosh, so I'm 34. I started lifting when I was 12 and it was something I just got into right away. And I just put as much time as I could into, and kind of like a nerd when it comes to studying these things and back before social media, all we really had were forums. Mm -hmm. So I was like a member on, oh, it could have been like a number of forums that you saw me on. I'm not even sure which one it was. Yeah. But I was I was a moderator on a couple of UK forums. I was an approved trainer on That Be True, which mm-hmm. the, the name makes it sound funny, but it was like the most scientific forum you could get in regards to like pharmaceuticals, peptides, and yeah. this, you know, this kind of topic. So, yeah, I loved forums, man. And it was a hard move for me to go from forums to social media because I'm really not a big fan of how it works in general yeah because it allows people without any true knowledge to manipulate the system and get themselves into a position of authority and then they go and you know they sell their programs or they sell their really overpriced coaching it's something i deal with every day so i'll make a lot of stories on instagram where people will then share their coaching experiences with me mm-hmm. And I did this the other day, man, and I had well over 50 responses. And I had everything from one lady who paid, it's a well-known team. The guy who owns it is a men's physique Olympian competitor. So, of course, a great physique, a big following. But she paid him $7,000 for a year in full. Okay. uh, And he sent her a copy and paste plan. And after one week, she wasn't happy because they weren't even fully replying to any of her questions when it came to the plan. And I I saw the dialogue, man. It wasn't like she was pestering or doing anything. You know, she was asking basic questions. Yeah, right. And then there's a lot of coaches out there, dude, that they're basically acting like a doctor, right? They're prescribing all these clients enormous amounts of different performance enhancing drugs. Right. And I just have a real problem with that on many levels because I've seen the after effects. I have all these different people send me these messages, a lot of girls who do bikini. Mm-hmm. Basically, they'll have a coach who will say, okay, so this is your diet, this is your training, and these are your supplements. What they fail to tell them is these so-called supplements are anabolic steroids, thyroid hormone, even drugs like DMP which is absolutely, it's absolutely ludicrous for any coach to recommend that to anyone, especially to a female, because I mean, it can make them infertile in a matter of days, so it can ruin them for life. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard some horror stories. I mean, even in the like natural competitors, I mean, just some of the things I've seen. um, But I'm sure it's obviously more risky once you start getting into, you know, the pharmacy side of it. It's just things that are just completely unnecessary that people have told me about. I I just, I don't even get it. But I think when, like what you said about like the forums, like I love the forums because I, I mean, there was a point where I was on them way too much. Like I remember when I went to college and my rule was like, I'm cutting back 
to two hours a day on the forums. So whatever I was doing before, I mean, I would literally have forums where there was one, I don't know if you know the name Mark David, but he had a forum called discussbodybuilding.com. And I had so many posts. I mean, I literally replied to like every new thread that came up on this site. And it wasn't like a huge forum, but I must've had 10,000 plus posts on there. And it was like this community of people. I guess the plus side is now you can actually really connect with people. Like I can actually like meet and talk to you and like on Instagram and, and these things, like there are the actual people rather than like a random username behind an avatar or whatever. Um, and now you probably get that to some degree on the forums, but obviously not to the same extent, but it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's just a completely different dynamic and there's way more of the kind of salesman nature and like Instagram and whatnot. You know what I always noticed with the forums, like depending which ones you went on, people wouldn't use their real name. They wouldn't use their right. physique to push their idea. So it was basically, what were you saying? Did it make sense? And the context would kind of change depending what forum you were on. You know, if it was a more pro-drug forum, you would have people who were more extreme. And if it was, you know, let's say bodybuilding.com with a lot of a younger, more natural crowd, it would have a slightly different feel to it. But people were judged on what they were saying rather on how they were looking. Right. Nowadays with social media, do people put up these filtered, edited, ridiculous pictures and that instantly puts them into a place of authority. I mean, even if you have a fantastic physique, that doesn't mean you know anything. Right. I mean, I've been coaching. That's literally all I've ever done. I started in 2008 online. And I, in that time frame, I did own a gym for eight years. I literally sold it last December, luckily, as COVID. Oh, wow. In, yeah, like a month or two after. I mean, the gym's still going. I sold it to my... Uh, partner who also does coaching he goes by kdcon i go by cdcon on instagram okay so so it's, it's he's he's done really well with the gym but just in general the coaching industry it's completely unregulated people are having endless health issues and that's nearly my argument more so than people losing money because you know let's say you pay somebody 150 bucks a month. I mean, that's very cheap for an online coach, but that's what a lot of people do. If they give you garbage advice, you have literally wasted not only the 150 bucks, but also a month of your time, right? Because you're following this plan, which just doesn't work. Right. So my biggest argument is not only is it a waste of money, but more so it's a waste of time. And then in some cases, a waste of health. Sure. Because I mean, this, people treat these uh, drugs like they're freaking Skittles or a supplement, dude. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I get these stories of these guys and I see their blood work and I know their, the different issues they have, but nobody wants to talk about it publicly themselves. I'm not sure if it's because they're scared that the coach will somehow like attack them online. I know that's happened many times. Right, sure. Or if they just don't want to admit that they were kind of conned into getting a crappy coach. I mean, it could be a variety of reasons, but. Yeah. yeah well, it's hard when you have somebody with like these big followings, again, kind of going back to what we were talking about, with the guy interviewed at some point, like people will get such a big following that it doesn't matter what's said. And if you try to come out against them, you're the bad guy now. And you, maybe the coach would just say, well, you didn't follow the plan. I 
and on Instagram where it's like really you and you have all of like, this guy's got hundred thousand followers. I, I'm sure most people say, you know what? I'm just going to be done with this. I'm not going to make a whole big thing on social media. I'm not going to get attacked by dozens or hundreds of people. I'm just going to be done with it. You know? If, I mean, that's what it is. Plus people who wants to admit that they messed up their health by using illegal substances. Right. Espe- right. Especially in America where it is illegal. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of the issue too, but I mean, do you remember professionalmuscle.com? Yes. So that was always one of the more extreme websites, right? The guys on there were really pushing the envelope always. And I find it kind of ironic to look back because 10 years ago, all the posts were about these extreme doses, these blasts. Now you go on there and it's about cardiomyopathy, kidney transplants, Mm. all these health issues that they've suffered now 10 years down the line. Yeah. So my big issue with a lot of these coaches nowadays is in the short term, okay, maybe your clients look great, you get a trophy, but 10 years down the line, they're never going to find it worth it if they have severe health issues. Do you I'm, think that's in part inherent to the game of enhanced bodybuilding though? Because I mean, for me, I just knew like I always had, I would say an extreme mindset, but I was always very focused on progression and um, you know, people on the podcast know that I really like Eric Helms and I relate to him in a lot of ways. And one of the things is we both kind of had a similar experience in that realm of like thinking about it and deciding like, it's just not worth it for our lives. But one of the things that he said is that he would be concerned that being that he's so competitive, he would want to take more and more and more. And it's the same thing with me. Like I have a hard time kind of accepting that, like, I'm kind of done growing. You know what I mean? Like I'm almost 30. I've been lifting since I was 12. I'm not naturally going to progress that much, but if I, if I was like, you know what, I'm okay with using a ton of anabolics, it would be hard for me to know that like, here's this thing that could help me progress and I'm just going to not do it. So do you think like in enhanced bodybuilding, there is this like, well, if I just up the dose, I can hit my goals. You know, I would imagine that's hard psychologically. I think to a degree, but I think that also comes down a lot actually with social media because we're good friends now, but you know, obviously Boston Lloyd. Yes. So Boston years ago, he started coming out with the YouTube videos of the insane doses and cycles (laughs) and all of this. And the whole funny thing about it was I remember watching a few of his videos and I'm like, this is just stupid. This is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but think, and Boston and I are friends now. We actually competed against each other in 2016 and I, I, I beat them in the overall, which, uh, he wasn't happy with so there was like a big back and forth between people who thought i should have won people who thought he should have won it was like featured i mean it was talked about a lot even on like it it was i'm glad i didn't have instagram at the time because that (laughs) that louis marco gentleman oh yeah following myself but i know he's influenced he 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 sided on boston's side so there were a lot of comparison pictures and it was it was it was a big whole thing wow but I can't help but wonder how many people have been negatively affected by his videos over the years. Yeah, because sure. if you have, and I've talked with Boston, he, he I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but he does have some issues now. And he, he's, he's younger than I am. I believe he's about 30. Um, so, I mean, there are consequences to pay. 
And if you have like this whole, it's like it's it's like a niche culture, really, isn't it? This up the dose, hope for the most approach. Yeah. I, I a lot of people really have bought into that, and seeing people like Boston, who has a fantastic physique by all means, basically state that the doses that are being used on the higher levels are so enormous that if you don't do that, you have no chance. Right. The same happened. There was another gentleman, GH15, and mm -hmm. he had a big cult following. And he would say the same kind of stuff, like just crazy doses. Um, and you just had thousands. I'm not, I, you know, you can't really put a number on it, but it would have been thousands of people that then went and did things that they wouldn't on their own naturally be inclined to do. Because if you read any, let's say Will Llewellyn has a great series called Anabolics. Right. And if you read that book, everything is very moderate, but it's still realistic advice. Yeah. Then you get these guys who are basically quadrupling whatever is written in there. And if you're, if you look up to somebody, and they're saying you need this and this much just to even see an effect. Right. I mean, I had an argument with a, a pretty well-known English coach who coaches a lot of female clients on Facebook. And he was arguing with me that females needed to use 300 milligrams of primabolin a week for it to even work. Wow. Which is absolutely, it's like, it's completely ludicrous. I mean, wow. yeah. not even close, not even close to true, but, a lot of people will listen to him. They'll follow that advice. And that's why we see so many ladies who have really, really negative health effects. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like the deeper voice from the enlarged uh, vocal cords and increased, you know, hair loss. I mean, other issues. Like I have a lot of female friends who've had like cancer scares from anti-estrogen use. Really? It's just, yeah, man, it's it, but no one really talks about it. So that's why I use my platform on Instagram to share people's stories. But I never call any one particular coach out because that's not my goal. I'm I'm just trying to show that people have negative experiences. There are consequences for it, and that is not necessarily the way you need to do it. I'm curious what um because I I've read uh, Will's books and. I mean, I think they're great resources. I'm curious what uh, cancer scares from the anti-estrogens have you seen? <sighs> I'm mainly thinking about one ex-client of mine. She basically just crushed her estrogen for so long that she ended up being fine. Okay. But I guess for a while, she was very worried that there was something wrong. So I'm sure the doctors looked at the blood results and was like, you know, we need to do further testing. So even if it didn't itself cause cancer, she did have that period of time where she thought she probably did have cancer. Yeah. And then if you look at a lot of, you know, I was reading an article yesterday on oral Teranobol because that was used by the East German swim team back in the Olympics, back I think in, what was it? 87 or 76, I can't remember the, quite the year, but a lot of those ladies who were given that drug as teenagers, they did go on and develop, a few of them developed cancer. They had just a whole lot of side effects down the road. Mm -hmm. So my problem is people are thinking about today, next month, 
this year. I started lifting, like I said, like you, age 12. And I have seen all these people that have really pushed the envelope, and some people who didn't even push the envelope that hard, end up having issues 10, 20 years down the line. And the hard thing is, guys who are in there, let's say that, let's say you're 24. If I say to you, look, man, in 20 years, you're going to probably have some issues. A lot of these guys will be like, 20 years, that's nearly, you know, that's forever away. That's not, you know, that's right. not no issue. But before you know it, you are in your 40s. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's funny you actually brought up Boston because I haven't seen much about him in a long time. But I just watched, um, there's this guy, Leo, who has a podcast, and I just became yes. familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you have thoughts on him. I don't know much about him. I'm actually going to be talking to him. So I, I, I think Leo is a very smart individual. I think he puts out some very good information. I do, I'm not super fond of the approach he's taking currently, where he's obviously trying to gain traction basically by calling out a lot of uh, people who have larger YouTube followings. Is that uh, what he's doing? I haven't seen that. Is that what he's yeah. doing on YouTube or on Instagram? On, you, on YouTube. So, you know, yeah. uh, Hostile Supplements, uh, Fuad. I know Fuad, yeah. I know of him. Yeah, so he has some liver, uh, no, some kidney issues, I should say. And on pretty much every episode that Leo's been putting out, he's been mentioning these kidney issues. Okay. So obviously you're getting cross-platform interaction that way, and he's getting more followers due to that. And hey, look, build your following any way you want. I'm just saying myself, I'm not a huge fan of using that approach to build yourself up, you know, by kind of attacking other people and pointing out their issues overly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, with the podcast, um, I would usually do quite a bit of research on the guests. And then sometimes now I'm just like, like, if I have an interaction with somebody, even like online, I'll just be like, all right, it's hard to do this through text. Come on the podcast. We'll chat with uh, Jaquish. That's kind of what it was where it's like, I knew of him. And I was always like, you know what, most people who I've had disagreements online, I really do believe that if we just talked face to face or like this, you know, that we probably agree on a lot because tonality is hard to get across in text. It's just not the same. Um, so Jaquish was the only person where that didn't happen with, where even after we talked, I was like, oh no, I, I you know, it wasn't so great. Um, but with Lex, somebody mentioned, and I'll just find a comment. Somebody mentioned I should have him on. So I looked into him and he's got some interesting stuff. So like I said, we're going to talk later today. Um, but he had Boston on his channel and I just, I walked, I mean, I kind of like watched it, I don't know, maybe one or two weeks ago. And I think Boston is like 28 years old. And some of the stuff he was saying, I was just like, I don't know, I'm kind of like a nut when it comes to health. So to hear somebody who was just like, oh yeah, my blood pressure is like, you know, never below like 160 over whatever. And I'm just like, what? Like, he just doesn't care. He's like, oh, I just won't go to a doctor. I'm just like, dude, like that is to me, that's like mind boggling, but I guess that's just what he's accepting. Yeah. So I've actually had some conversations with Boston about this. He told me he went in, he's a few times literally just left the building because they said your blood pressure is so high. We need to admit you. Yeah. And he's like, he's, uh, and you know, I suggested to him some various interventions he could do like an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know, he said, I tried an ACE inhibitor, I believe it was, and I didn't like the side effects, which to me is kind of ironic. Someone who can handle right. all the side effects on these enormous other drugs 
And then something like a nascent inhibitor, it's like, no, this is too much. I can't. Right, right. I know that is pretty funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, that that whole culture, it's just something that like I used to, and I said on podcasts, you know, I, I considered it when I was like 21, 22. Um, but now, I don't know, it, it's, I guess like your goals just change in life. Like I still have the desire to like look good and all these things. But when I, I will read, you know, sometimes forums and stuff where they talk about it and like, it almost gives me anxiety to see some of these things they talk about and how much, like, once you inter- introduce that aspect, there is so much more you have to be on top of now. Like people think it's going to just make things easier. It will make building muscle easier. Sure. But if you're at all cognizant of your health, there is so much more that you have to be on top of now if you go down that route, which is, I mean, it's a big lot. And even then you're not going to completely counteract the effects. You might be able to mitigate some of them, but there's no way you're just going to be able to handle all of them. That's the absolute truth. And that's something I go on. I talk about on my Instagram a lot. I say, you know, a lot of these guys don't want to do a lot of blood work. And even if you do blood work at certain times of the year, you're not getting the full picture. Yeah. For so sure. I, I tell everybody, look, blood pressure cup at home. Everybody should have that. But besides that, you can test your fasting blood sugar and you can test your hemoglobin. And then you can buy urine test strips where you can test if you're, you know, if you're passing any protein, if you're passing any blood and those are good ways just to monitor yourself at home to make sure you're not getting any issues ahead of time. You know, let's say you start noticing some trace protein in the urine. Yeah, that could be from heavy training, but if you haven't trained in the last two days, you might need to investigate that a little bit further. For sure. And the big issue with it, dude, is the general blood tests that people do, there are markers like creatinine and BUN for kidneys, but those are generally elevated in muscular guys anyway. So there becomes this gray area of what's okay and mm-hmm. what's not okay. And I'll, I'll tell you myself, in my early 20s, I've always had a slightly higher creatinine. So I, I went and I had a... I had blood tests done and the doctor really scared me. He's like, dude, you're going to, you know, your kidneys are damaged. You're going to have a kidney failure eventually. Wow. So I didn't have, I didn't have insurance. So I spent several thousand dollars going and seeing a kidney specialist. Oh, wow. Kidney specialist. Yeah. He took blood work and then he took one look at me and he said, dude, it's completely normal for someone of your muscularity to have Jeez. those levels. Yeah. Right. But dude, I spent, it took, I, it was a five week gap <laughs> between getting that initial blood work and getting told that by the doctor during which I was like, my oh, life is mess, over. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because I, because I was like 23, 24 at the time. I'm like, if my kidneys are damaged now, this is going to impact me for the rest of my life. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's scary stuff. And I think also, cause I, and I almost wonder if the advice. So obviously I do think that getting blood work is a good thing to do. However, I also wonder if it gives people um too much like an over sense of confidence you know like a misplaced sense of confidence because it's not going to show everything i mean there are people with like serious illnesses whose blood work would be fine and it's i would just wonder if somebody would say oh well i feel fine oh my blood work's good it's like well what blood work did you had oh well i had a cmp and a cbc okay that's not going to show you everything you know, if you have hypertrophy of your heart, that's not going to show up until it's 
like way down the line, you know, that's not even going to necessarily show up on an EKG until later down the line, like unless you're getting like a yearly echo or something like that. Um, and that's just one example, you know, I don't know if you know, Peter Bond, he, uh, mm -hmm. he put out a book on steroids like in the last year or so. And I've heard of the book. I haven't read it, but yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't read the whole thing before I had him on. It's like 300 plus pages, but just like going through different chapters. And I mean, it was, it's a good book. I'd recommend it, but um, he does talk a lot about a lot of these things and some are reversible when you come off, mm -hmm. but some aren't. And it's, I'm glad that information is getting out there. Cause like you said, there are these, you know, certain individuals or forms that just kind of like push it. And, you know, you shouldn't think that it's just going to be okay just because, you know, you don't have, you know, terrible blood work. No. So your example about the left ventricle hypertrophy is a great one because, uh, all weightlifters get it to some degree, right? So there's this gray area between athletic heart and cardiomyopathy. Right. So for instance, I have a normal EKG, but years ago, it's a bit of a backstory. Basically in 2011, I was like 240 in January. I then broke my spine ski jumping in February. Oh, wow. So I was, I was bed bound for like six weeks. I dropped down to 180 pounds because I couldn't move. And then I rebounded back up to 230 in a matter of like six weeks. It was just muscle memory is amazing, came back. But I was always a really extreme person with how much I would push myself with training. Right. So I had gone to body power in 2011 and I had bought one of those occlusion masks. You know, you put it on the face and you're not getting as much oxygen. Mm -hmm. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do a bodybuilding show this year. I think I'm going to enter a CrossFit contest. So to train for that, I went running through the Alps with this occlusion mask on. And then I get home and I, I said to my wife, you know, I feel a little weird. Can you take my blood pressure? So she takes my blood pressure like three times and she says, I'm not trying to scare you, but your heartbeat is irregular. What ended up happening was I spent a week in the heart ward, four weeks on medication, and then I needed cardio version to fix this AFib, which I basically had caused by dropping the body weight and then regaining the body weight and then overly stressing myself in a single bout of exercise. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of people don't get that. It's not only long-term. It's also what you do in the short term. So you can, that's why a lot of CrossFitters end up having uh, excessive kidney breakdown. You that they have rhabdo. Yeah. And that causes kidney damage right there. How did your wife know you had an irregular heartbeat? When she was trying to take my blood pressure, she wasn't able to do it. We do it manually. Oh, okay. So, so when she was trying to listen to it, she just it was not even. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. So I had, I had all, all the tests done and the, my left ventricle was 14 millimeters, which is, that's like the top end of athletic heart. Yeah, right. So, dude, after that, I was like, you know, I'm not going to become a professional bodybuilder. That's not my goal. I actually have a pro card in one federation, but I don't even mention them because I'm affiliated with the MPC. Mm. But after that, dude, I, I didn't take anything again for years. I even, I did wow. some shows in the MPC naturally. I competed, I dieted down in 2010. I competed at 210 mm -hmm. in 2014. I was in perfect shape at 185, but I kept going to 176 because I knew I wouldn't win as a light heavy. Wow. So I won, I won a couple of really big MPC uh, middleweight class shows back when bodybuilding was, back when a class would have 12, 13 people in it. Right. So I have the experience 
of dieting down enhanced and dieting down naturally. So you did it naturally after being enhanced, which is pretty unusual. Yes. I, so I did it. I had been off everything for over three years at that point. Wow. And you so competed it, almost 30 pounds later or actually yeah. over 30 pounds later. Yeah. Um, I did it because I don't have body dysmorphia. I do. Everybody does to some degree. Otherwise, we wouldn't lift weights. Mm -hmm. But for me, competition is about competing. It's not necessarily about, oh, I need to be bigger than last time. So mm -hmm. I wanted to show that I could go from being a heavyweight enhanced bodybuilder down to a middleweight, do it naturally, and still end up winning if that's what I wanted to do. And how tall are you roughly? I'm five foot eight. Okay. So, I mean, five foot eight at like a diced 180 is still really impressive. Yeah, it, I was 176 in the quarter. It was, it was hard to make the weight, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, see, that's interesting that you say, you know, well, I'm about competing, not just being like bigger than last time, because that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people say with bodybuilding. They say, don't focus on other people. If you progressed and beat yourself last year, you've won because you don't know who's going to show up that day. And, you know, I kind of agree with that. I mean, it's a personal journey. Uh, you, the, but the motivations to compete, that's what varies. Nowadays, everybody wants to become a pro mm -hmm. because they give out like a thousand pro cards a year. Right, I mean, right. uh, like one third of my clients who compete turn pro this year. Are, are they great? Did they do awesome? Of course they did. But it's complete. It's totally diluted. Getting a pro card isn't nearly worth what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So for me, competing was always just a personal challenge to see what I could do. And I was like, you know, I've done this enhanced. I've been really big. Let's see if I can do it just 100% naturally. Wow. And How did you uh, feel relatively? It's interesting because when you diet enhanced, in a way, it's harder because you are a lot more hungry. I, I was definitely felt a lot more hunger when I dieted enhanced. When I dieted it naturally, honestly, dude, the last six weeks I just felt like walking death. Mm. I mean, uh, I just it was it, it was it, it was hard. I would have my wife go for a walk with me each day, and she'd have to walk beside me just in case I started to <laughs> get hypo and would start to fall over. Yeah. Uh, when you were natural. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You have to think, though, because I was in shape at like 185, so I did diet off nearly 10 pounds of muscle. Wow. And that was already a lot smaller than I had been for the past nearly decade. So that, that was, it, it was really tough. So you were using for maybe like seven plus years prior to going natural? Is that about right? Or how long? No, um, three years. Oh, three years. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did, I did powerlifting when I was younger, uh, 2005, 2006. I didn't use PEDs during that time until the very end. Um, I was the first teenager actually ever at 198 to deadlift 733 pounds. It's, it's, a, it's been beaten now. It has been beaten now, but yeah. I, I, it's still something I'm proud of. But I knew that powerlifting was very unhealthy for me because I would constantly have nosebleeds underneath those max maximum lifts. Wow. So I kind of had to make a choice. I was like, either I stay on the Irish powerlifting team, which is great because it's like a national sport over there, or I go to college in America. So I went to college in America, and over here, powerlifting isn't really – it's not a national sport. I mean, right. it's, a niche, it's a niche sport. Yeah. So I – 
I didn't see the point in continuing and competing in powerlifting. So that's when I started to take up the interest in bodybuilding. Okay. So I competed in Hanst in 2009, 2010. And then right after that, I broke my spine and yeah. it all well, came apart. Yeah. So you were only 2009 and 10, you must've been what, like 23, 24. Yeah. So, um, but that's interesting. So basically in your experience being enhanced, even just for three years, and I'm guessing from our conversation, you weren't going crazy with the doses. You were still 25, like, cause you said one, like I'll, I'll say like 185, you said you were ready, right? Yeah. Naturally. So at least 25 pounds of stage weight from moderate usage. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, I would say that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's just interesting when you, you talk to different people and like, obviously there's going to be a huge genetic response to, you know, what you take. Um, so not everybody is going to add, I mean, I'm sure there are some kind of not non-responders, but like lower responders who, even if they took a ton might only put on 15 pounds of stage weight, but it's just interesting when you see some other people say, well, it's just like the icing on the cake. It doesn't make that much of a difference. And I'm like, dude, that is ridiculous. It is ridiculous to say that. I mean, imagine if you use some of these like pro muscle GH 15 doses, I mean, you might have 40 or 50 pounds of muscle added to your natural stage weight. Oh, with, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. That's why that's my whole argument about people and their ridiculous dosing. You really don't need a whole lot to get a good response. If, the actual base is there. So I see a lot of right. people who are basically going from not untrained, but total gym bro, and they want to compete in six months. So they try and make up the difference by taking a ton of drugs. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's really the wrong approach with it. But when people say it's icing on the cake, I mean, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. I would say it's more like the supercharger on the engine. Yeah. So if you have a powerful engine already, it's going to help you become a lot more powerful. But if you start with like the smallest, weakest engine, you can put a supercharger on it and you get some out of it, but you're probably not going to get the same amount. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, something I'm going to have a conversation again with, um, you know, Abel Jabai, he's got his podcast. Mm -hmm. And it, I think when you have good genetics and when you've been on gear for a while, I think you just mm -hmm. almost forget what it was like to train naturally for some people and what like the normal response is because like let's say you start taking something and like you're a year into using gear and then you know over time like i don't know you can put on 20 pounds you might come up with some ideas right for oh training this way this exercise and because you're growing through that time you're like well this is working but it's like yeah but if you did something completely different, it also would have worked. So it's not that I don't take advice from enhanced guys, not at all. I, I think some of like, again, like Scott Stevenson, some of like these like extremely knowledgeable people, John Meadows, you know, they're pretty open about being enhanced. It's not that it's just, I do think you just, you kind of like forget sometimes of like, you know, that might not be the best thing or that might not work for a natural as well. And it's not that the same principles of muscle growth aren't there. It's just, you have something that's going to work regardless. So you can't know for sure. Yeah, of course. Plus protein synthesis just stays on longer when you're taking steroids. That's okay. why you have these guys who train everything once a week. 
which is something I'm personally not for for anybody, but a lot of people do it and they have great success, like a shoulder only day. And you, you know, right. everything is just trained. I mean, protein synthesis in an advanced athlete is only really turned on for maybe up to 48 hours in most cases. I mean, if yeah. you're not trained, maybe 72, but. So yeah. do you train your natural clients versus your enhanced clients differently or significantly differently? To a degree. It, because I don't train anybody, I don't train anybody the same because everybody responds a little differently and can handle a different amount of volume and intensity. And what I found though, with a lot of enhanced lifters is because their muscles and their strength go up so much faster than their tendon strength mm -hmm. that they nearly need to lift. I'm not going to say lighter is the wrong word, but definitely a higher repetition range because I see it constantly where these enhanced lifters strength keeps going up and up and up, and then they blow out a tendon. Mm. So, I mean, and I've blown out some tendons, so I fully understand that. Yeah. I, I, over the years of lifting, you know, you develop bone spurs. So I had bone spurs on both of my elbows. And in 2007, I ended up actually tearing my tricep right off the bone, doing deadlifts of all things. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's, and then after I tore tricep, I, I came back really quick. And about four months later, I was like, I'm going to do a little push-pull meet just to prove to myself that I'm all back to normal. Mm -hmm. I, I go to this meet and I tell myself, look, don't go heavier than 315 on the bench and then just do a really big deadlift. So I did the 315. It was like a feather. I threw it up. So I got greedy and I said, you know what? I'm going to do 335. And as I lay down on the bench, I thought to myself, Cornelius, your tricep isn't going to tear again. If anything's going to tear, it's going to be the pec on that side because it'll have got weaker over the months of not training. I literally thought that. I brought the bar down and the pec tore right off the bone. Ugh. So. And what is your, what was like for reference, your best bench? My best, uh, I never hit 500 roll. I've hit like 455 for like a triple. Wow. And 455 for a triple and yet 335 tore your pec. Yeah. Uh, but that really was because I had, you know, once you tear your tricep, you're in a sling for eight weeks. Yeah. And then after the sling, you start doing your rehab and then they say, okay, you can start building back up. But you have to think during that entire time, my pec just got weaker and weaker. Right. So yeah, when I brought the bar down, it was just too much. It was just too much for the tendon. They tore it right off. So relatively strength wise at that time, that 335, like you said, 315 went up like a feather. Like, would you say 335 was still easy weight for you? Like it didn't feel hard? Yeah, it was for my entire body. It was, but obviously for my pec tendon, yeah. it was not That's really something else. You have to keep something else in mind though. I have, I'm five foot eight, but I have a six foot two wingspan. That's why yeah. I'm really good at deadlifts. Right. So for me to do a full bench and I don't do the arch or anything, I really have to bring my arm down and back really far, which mm -hmm. puts a ton of stress on mm -hmm. that tendon. Interesting. So, yeah, I um, so I am six one and I have a six four, you know, arm span. And so again, deadlifts were my best. I have very long legs for my height too, so my squat was always trash. Um, but I, it's funny. I just found a video from when I was like twenty years old, and I did four hundred five for twelve. And for me, I was very happy with, I mean, I was like 170 at the time. So, um, I was pretty happy with that. I've never been like a super strong guy, but 
what started to happen, and it's very unusual, I started to get pec pain from my deadlifts. And I guess the pulling on it, I, I mean, it literally on that 12th rep, it felt like if I do one more, my pec is going to tear, which is, is insane to think of a pec tear from a deadlift, but that's what it felt like. And I fully believe that because I've many times tweaked my pec while doing deadlifts. So yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. It... But uh, yeah, it's funny. I don't, I just don't have an interest in Warner Maxon anymore. Like <laughs> it's funny to see my evolution over like five years or so, because I don't like, I look back on some of my old workouts and it seems so heavy to me, even though I'm actually just as strong for reps. Like mm-hmm. um, yesterday, I just did 225 for 14 on bench, which again, I mean, for me, I'm happy with it. That's really good. But I look back on, you know, when I was doing like 285 for five, which is probably in the same realm of strength. But I look at that and I'm like, that just sounds so heavy to me now because I just don't go above 225. I just, I just do more reps. Um, and I, I just have kind of avoided that. The only thing, the only exception I have for that is overhead press. I really do like overhead press and I just, it just doesn't feel injurious to me. Like when I, even if I want to at max, I mean, obviously something could happen, but so far it's just felt like a very safe movement for me, but in general, yeah, unless there's like a very safe movement, I'm doing like eight plus reps on, and on a bench, it's like 10 plus easily. I, I'm fully of the same opinion. I think doing heavy, low rep benches, I feel like there's like a number. And once you go over it, the chance of injury just goes up, even for like a strong dude. And I've always found on the bench, it's about like three plates. Yeah. I, I know a ton of guys who have torn their pec. And often it was not on their max lifts. It was one of my best friends actually tore his pec on his downset. So he had gone up to like four or five done reps and he backed it down to, I believe it was around 315 and he tore his pec that way. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Scary stuff. And and I I kind of, like I said, ever since my left pec, it just feels like it's a when, not an if that something's going to happen. So I, I try to keep my ego out of it, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't, this is going to be like, I'm going to reference this podcast when I eventually tear my left pack and I'm going to say, see, I knew, <laughs> I knew it was coming. So do you do a lot of stretching and just general mobility work? I mean, how are, how is your shoulder mobility? It's not great. I used to do a ton. And then I got to the point where I was doing literally like an hour a day. Like when I was like most obsessed with it, I was doing like an hour a day of various like prehabs. Um, I do do the, I'm sure you're familiar with Dante's broomstick, uh, stretch. I was, I literally showed a guy that yesterday. It's great. And Scott, Scott is a big fan of it. I sent Scott a video and he was like immediately like, you're doing it wrong. But he says that he has to correct like a hundred percent of people on the correct form. I don't know what else I can do. I stand in front of a mirror and for people who don't know, like, I mean, maybe I can put a link in for it, but I mean, basically you're holding a broomstick. I found I like a band or like a towel a little bit more. Um, and you just kind of go up over your head and you bring it back and then, you know, come back over. But I don't, I don't know if it's helping. I do it because it seems like it maybe is at least increasing the mobility a little bit. I know Dante's like really big on it, helping a lot of shoulder issues. I mean, what is your experience with it? I think it's absolutely fantastic. To be honest, I believe in doing like 50 repetitions every day. And I've in had periods. 
it usually breaks down to a couple of sets because my shoulders will pump up really yeah, much. But, yeah, it gets bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it's in one, it's in one go. It's in, done over a couple of minutes. Okay. But I've had many periods of time where I start losing shoulder mobility. You know, you start doing squats and you're like, wow, I can't grab the bar quite as easily. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do that sh- uh, shoulder stretch again for like two weeks and I'm back to normal. Yeah. And I've seen that with a whole load of guys. I mean, if you do that properly and you do it every day consistently, I, I really believe in that for sure. Yeah. Dante has got quite a few of these like unique, you know, tips for muscle growth and for injury prevention. Um, mm-hmm. I know he kind of, I think prides himself on kind of being an out of the box thinker and he does have some like unique methods that, you know, a lot of people say work very well for them. So. Uh, so I, I did DC training years ago and for me, the principles, I, I like the principles, but for me, it was just a little bit too little volume to be honest. Mm. So but I absolutely love the principles, uh, especially the, you know, the rest pause, doing stretching. I'm not a huge fan of the extreme stretching. Yeah. It, I do like hanging from a chin-up bar with attached weight. I do find that a good one for my lats. Yeah. But I don't really like, like, taking dumbbells and going into a fly. I don't know. Everybody's different. Somebody might get great benefits from it. Just me personally, I've... If anything, I just got some pec tendon pain from doing that. I'm not, I, I wasn't doing like Scott has talked about guys tearing their pecs, like yeah. flies with, you know, I never did that. That's ridiculous to me. But Scott I, is pretty big on stretching. But if you've read Fortitude Training, he's got his three different types of stretching. And I like that he, you know, kind of auto regulates it because when I did Fortitude Training, I was probably overly stubborn in thinking like I wanted to have all of my pump days have extreme stretching afterwards. Cause it just made sense to me like, okay, it's the pumped up day. So let me like then get that great stretch. But inevitably if the pec ones, you know, over time, give me a little bit of issue um, unless I just stick with like lighter dumbbells and, but yeah, the extreme stretch there is weird. And some of them just feel awkward to me. Like it's hard to do like an extreme stretch for like your biceps in my experience. Um, but like triceps, you can get a really great stretch um, lats. You can get a really great stretch quads and hamstrings can be really intense um but i don't know for me it's almost more like a flexibility thing i don't know if it's really adding a ton hypertrophy wise but again some people report it does some people say it makes a really big difference for them i think if your muscle is overly tight then it will help with growth but i don't think that if your muscle is you know in a good condition to start with that it'll really add a whole ton. I, I can't say that I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. I have seen, I've had clients that had bad flexibility, especially in muscles like their hamstrings, and they did a lot of stretching and then their legs did improve. Mm. That, that I've seen. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen somebody who's, you know, got perfect flexibility, great mobility, added in more stretching and seen more results. What, uh, what's your training like nowadays? You know, I... Honestly, this year I have barely trained at all because it was just one thing after another with COVID and the gym's closing down. I actually have a nice gym in my house, but uh, I actually like, I like fortitude training a lot just in general because I prefer higher frequency. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I do. I've done pretty much every kind of training you can you can imagine. I've done like right. the Milos Giant set stuff. Yeah, I've yeah, done, yeah. But that requires a specific protocol to be done with it. Otherwise, it's pretty pointless, in my opinion. So a pharmaceutical protocol. You yes. Mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think that if a natural goes in and he just does a ton of giant sets, you're going to get a nice pump, but I don't really think you're going to get more than that. But. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. Like, over the years, you start to realize, like, I don't know when that clicked for me. Maybe maybe probably around, like, my low 20s where, like, you know, you find a routine and you're like, maybe this is going to be it. And I, I was never, like, a program hopper, you know, which is a problem. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this one for two weeks. Oh, wait, what about this one for two weeks? It wasn't that. It was just you just kind of hope that there's going to be something that like is that next level. And then at the end of the day, you realize kind of like we were talking about earlier, at least in my opinion, it's like genetics, drugs, consistently pushing yourself hard. Like all three of those being extremely important. And then it's, you know, what's your frequency? Nutrition is obviously huge too. Like it's hard to say like a percentage. I just say, I think like if you don't have the genetics, that's going to be a huge problem. If you don't have the like consistently training hard, that's going to be a huge problem. And if you don't have the nutrition, that's going to be a huge problem. After that, everything else is, is a lot less important, I think. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I've actually discussed this on, on Instagram many times because in my opinion, tr- uh, genetics aside, training comes first because you have to give the body that stimulus. You could eat the perfect diets, you know, everything's perfect, but not train. You're not going to gain any muscle. Sure. But we've all seen guys who eat, you know, three robust meals a day and they train really hard and they got great physiques. Yeah. So in my opinion, training always has to come first. And then after that, we have the nutrition, we have the rest. And then I believe the super supplements basically just take you up above. It's like, like I said, it's like a supercharger on the engine. So it just makes everything work a whole lot better. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. I will definitely have to get you back on the podcast. And now we talked about your coaching today. If anybody is interested in getting coached by you, I don't know if you have slots open now. How can people reach out to you? Uh, Easiest is Instagram, CDCon. So yeah, that's C-D-E-C-O-N. Cool. And I'll have links to that below. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, no problem.